Welcome to the Legacy Nashville podcast. We are so grateful that you've taken the time out of your day or night to tune in. We pray that this message encourages you to love God, love people, and change the world. Now, let's get to the message. Any worshipers in the building today? Come on. Anybody grateful for the presence and the power and the mercy and the grace and the goodness and the beauty and the glory of God in the place? Come on. Man didn't wake you up this morning. God woke you up this morning. Come on. The devil's against you, but God is for you. Anybody with a praise in their belly? Come on. Anybody grateful? You could complain, but why would you? God, we give your name all the praise and all the glory and all the honor. It's funny, I've always been vertically challenged. You, may, you can't tell because I'm on a stage, but I'm all a five, five and a half, and uh, I've always been short. And I remember being like four or five years old, and uh, I realized that there are these doors that automatically open when you stand in front of them. And I uh, walked up to the door, you know, bold attitude, you know, all probably at that point three feet of me or whatever, you know, and the door wouldn't open, which only confirmed to me that I was very short. <laughs> you know, the sensor could not pick up that there was a human being in front of the door. And so I took a step back, tried it again, took a step back, tried it again. And then after a couple of times, the door pops open. And of course, you know, I'm feeling myself. Hashtag Beyonce, you know, I'm feeling myself like, I'm like, yeah, the door open, like I got this, you know, I'm not that short. But then I made the mistake of looking behind me. And when I looked behind me, I actually realized it was my father, who was witnessing my struggle, stood behind me. And although the door would not respond to my presence, the door had no option but to respond to the presence of my father who was behind me. I wonder, is there anybody who's ever tried to open a door in the power of your last name or the power of your degree or the power of your fraternity or sorority or the power of the name of the church you go to or a denomination, and then you realize, oh, no, no, there's only one name that this door is going to open for, and that is the name of Jesus. Oh, I want every door that God God wants open for me, open in 2023. And I'm not going to walk through the door arrogant or proud. No, I'm going to walk through the door in humble adoration and acknowledgement that there's a God who opens doors that no man can open. And this is a God who also closes doors that no man can open. That God, when we worship you, we say, I don't want to open doors because of my ego. I've been there. Come on, let's not act like you've never had a year where you set aside some goals of things you just wanted to accomplish. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost. Can I say this? Can I preach this? Come on. One of the things that I love about David is David is a worshiper. And so when David hurls a stone at Goliath, the Bible says that instead of Goliath falling backwards, which is what should have happened. Modern scholars and theologians say this, that the stone that David launched at Goliath with the sling was like the equivalent of a major league baseball player pitching a baseball 90 miles an hour at somebody's face. 
the laws of gravity would dictate that Goliath should have fallen backwards. But the Bible says that Goliath falls face down because anyone can make a giant fall. Uh-oh. Even a Buddhist can get peace. Even a Buddhist can make anxiety go away. Anyone can make a giant fall. My goal is not to make the giant fall. A worshiper's goal is to make the giant worship. I want the victory of God to be so evident in my life that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that my God is God. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The battle is not against me and depression. The battle is between God and depression. So as long as I take care of his glory, he'll take care of my Goliath. At some point, I've got to become the kind of worshiper who says I'm not focus on my goals I'm focused on God and if I take care of God's glory and I become a conduit of his presence he will start slaying giants and the giants won't fall back the giants will fall forward I want the very thing that has who attacked me to become a billboard for God's glory So I don't walk into this year with goals. And as long as you frame it that it's you versus Goliath, you'll always make it about yourself. We, we enter the realm of worship where you stop thinking about you. I don't want to step on toes. Good God. I talk to so many young adults and I say, what was your favorite part of worship, part of service? And they'll say, the worship. And I'm like, okay, Why? Because when I worship, I don't feel anxious. And when I worship, I feel clarity. And, when I, and I go, oh, got it. So worship is about you? All you just told me that you could be talking about yoga. I don't know what you're talking about. So you're just saying it's a self-help practice. That's all you say. Worship is when you forget about you. Worship is when you lose you. Worship is when you die to you. Worship is when you take you and you put you on the altar. And you get so wrapped up in his presence that God begins to go, oh, if you would put me first. Oh, if you would give me praise. If you would give me the thing I can't give myself, which is praise and glory and honor and worship. I want to be somebody who's so enamored with God that my Goliaths just start to fall. And they don't just fall face down. They don't just fall over. They fall face down. Face down. How does this man launch a stone that should have catapulted Goliath to his back? But God defies the laws of gravity. Goliath stands there face down. God, we ask that as we go into this year, we want revival to come. And God, we ask that you would take care of every Goliath standing as a barrier for revival in Nashville. God, we are so in tune with what heaven is saying that God, the battles on earth, it's almost like we're gonna forget about them and we're gonna come out of intercession and the battles are gonna be won. God, we thank you that better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. 
God, we ask that today, the time that we're giving you today and the time that we're about to consecrate to you in prayer and fasting, set the next three years of our life up with strategy because we put you first. God, we thank you. Multiply every resource. Bless your people today. God, I've got a sermon, but you've got a message. So God, I ask that you would speak clearly, that you would speak boldly. God, help me to deliver this message with precision and with power. In Jesus' name we pray. Come on, and we all said together, amen, 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 amen. Come on, you can high-five somebody. You can grab a seat. Man, I am excited to be here. I was not supposed to exhort for 10 whole minutes. Whoo! But I'm black. So, you know, <laughs> me and timers don't really do all that great. So, but we're going to get out of here. I'm going to do this in 26 minutes, okay? If this is your first time hearing me, my name is Pastor Manny Arango. Uh, I am from the great state of Texas, the great, the great uh, city of Dallas, Texas. I'm a teaching pastor at a phenomenal church called Social Dallas Pastor Robert Madu, Pastor Taylor Madu are my pastors. My wife is in church with my son today. I think we got a picture of my wife and my son. There we go. Uh, my wife is, that's my hot chocolate mamacita. Like, hashtag black girl magic. If you don't know nothing about it, go look it up, okay? You, you need some black girl magic in your life, okay? Um, I love my girl. We've been married for almost a decade, and um, that's my girl. Doctors said we would never get pregnant. Doctors diagnosed us as an infertile couple, uh, and so that boy uh, is a miracle. He's a living, breathing, walking miracle, uh, and doctors said we would never get pregnant, uh, but I want to remind you today, if you need a booster shot for your faith today, that God can do anything. He can do anything. He can do anything. Doesn't matter what the loan officer says. If God says yes, God says yes. Doesn't matter what the doctor says. If God says yes, God says yes. And uh, he's, he's not waiting um, on permission, but he is waiting on your faith. God does need your faith, okay? And so that boy is our miracle. He's our laugh at the enemy. The doctor said we would never get pregnant. We went and bought a house. Uh, uh, with multiple bedrooms, and I bought a crib, I bought onesies, okay? I prepared for the miracle, okay? And so um, that boy is a result of us hearing the doctor's report and going, I ain't impressed. <laughs> I am not impressed with what you're saying, okay? And my faith is not in the degree from the school, from the fancy school that you went to. My faith is in a God who knows the number of hairs on my head, who knit me together in my mother's womb. So um, if you believe in God for a miracle, you're in the right place. Um, and so I'm super excited. Come on. I'm going to preach from chapter three from my book, Brainwashed, Brainwashed. The subtitle of the book is Overcome Toxic Thoughts and Take Back Control of Your Mind. Come on. Take back control of your mind. When I was at Presence People Conference, I preached from chapter seven of this book. So if you were here at conference, I preached from chapter seven. And if you bought the book, that means I preached chapter seven. The book has nine chapters and I gave you the first chapter for free and you went and bought the other eight. Uh, if you weren't here at Presence People Conference, then you're about to get chapter three today, okay? If you were at Presence People Conference, you got chapter seven then, you're about to get chapter three today, which means you got two chapters for a free 99. But after service today, you're going to go to the back. You're going to buy the book. I'm going to sign it. We're going to take a selfie. I'm going to hug you. It's going to be great, okay? I'm going to preach from chapter three of my book, Brainwashed, Brainwashed. And so if you got a Bible, let's go to John chapter five, John chapter five, John chapter five. Um, uh, Pastor Allison, who I, I'm going to just refer to as first lady. 
okay, because I'm black, okay? At the church I grew up at, you the first lady, okay? So first lady Allison, uh, we was talking, and she, I shared in the first service, chapter three of the book, um, and I talked a little bit about my story, but I kind of want to go a little deeper, and, and I want to frame this sermon with, with this story, okay? Um, I'm, I'm the first Arango uh, to graduate from college. I'm the first Arango with a master's degree. I'm the first Arango to have employees. I'm the first Arango to sign the front of checks, not the back of checks. I'm the first Arango to own property. I'm the first Arango um, to have kids after marriage, not before. First Arango to be functional, okay? My father took me to a crack house for the first time when I was five. My mother was pregnant with my older sister at 12. My mom didn't just drop out of high school, my mom dropped out of middle school, okay? My mom had my second, my older brother when she was 14, say, okay? So first kid at 12, second kid at 14. Both of my aunts are prostitutes, five of my uncles are alcoholics. I've met all of my cousins through a glass in prison, okay? Uh, so when I became a Christian, when I started going to church, like for real, for real, around 11, 12, 13 years old, I actually was crazy enough, get this, to believe that I was born again. See, being born again has a different power when you feel like you was born wrong the first time. Uh-oh. See, so whenever somebody says, well, God can't judge me, I was born this way. You as a Christian can say, baby, guess what? We was all born into sin. We were all born into iniquity. Wasn't nobody born right the first time. But God doesn't judge me based on my first birth. He judges me based on my rebirth. And when I was born again, I chose to believe that my father's DNA is not imprinted on me, that my heavenly father's DNA is not printed, is now imprinted on me. So I'm not destined to be a crackhead. I'm not destined to live in the hood. I'm not destined to be on welfare. I'm not destined to be a statistic. I'm destined to be the head only and not the tail. I'm destined to be everything God wants me to be. I'm destined, my destiny is to be a co-heir with Christ. However, uh-oh, I don't get to identify with a God who's victorious over sin and death and be a victim at the same time. See, a lot of us, we want to identify with a victorious God while blaming people and not taking responsibility for our own lives. I chose to believe that the blood of my father stopped running through my veins and that the blood of Calvary started running through my veins. So I could be the first Arango to fill in the blank because I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Statistically speaking, in the neighborhood that I was born in, in the family that I was born into, I should not be a preacher, I should not be a pastor, I should be incarcerated, I should have been aborted, statistically. But God does not care about your stats. You are not a statistic, you are a child of God. Everything in my life began to shift when I decided to get into therapy. Everybody say therapy. I believe in the altar and the therapist's office. Both and. Hello. I would have never had the wherewithal or the strength to go see a therapist had I not gone to the altar first. It's the altar that broke my pride and allowed me to even walk into a therapist's office, okay? So I'm sitting there with a therapist and I'm complaining about my father, okay? I had a victim mentality. I'm complaining about my dad. I'm talking about how my dad took me to a crack house for the first time. And then I start going into the fact that my dad did more damage to me and my mom, not just with the things that he did, but with his words. That my dad 
was, I mean, he was a charlatan. My dad was a trickster. My dad was hypnotizing, okay? My dad was a functional addict, so he kept a job the entire time he was on crack, okay? My dad could get a, and he was a contractor, so my dad could get a $35,000, $40,000 down payment for a job and never show up, okay? My dad was, could talk you, could talk his way into anything, talk his way out of anything. I mean, my dad had the kind of charisma that could light up a room, okay? I'm an extrovert, but my dad will put me to shame, okay? If my dad walked up in his church today, he would find a microphone, okay? My dad is just a, wa he can sell water to a well. The man is a salesman, okay? Man is a natural entrepreneur, and I'm talking about my dad, how my dad had the gift of gab, my dad could talk his way into anything, talk his way out of anything, how my father, for whatever reason, like you knew the man was lying. The man ain't came to a basketball game in seven years, but for whatever reason, today he's telling me he's gonna come to my game. I believe this man, okay? He just got the ability to weave a web of lies and deception that you just get caught in, okay? This is my dad's gift, and I'm verbalizing this to the therapist. I'm, 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 I'm expecting that the therapist is gonna hand me some Kleenex, rub my back, empathize with me, show me some compassion, okay? The therapist got the nerve to say to me, it sounds like your father left you a powerful set of gifts. This is not what I signed up for, Mr. Therapist. This is not, I did not come here for you to confront me or challenge me or to change my paradigm. I came here for pity, not power. You cannot receive pity and power from God simultaneously. You are always at a crossroad where you have to decide, do I want pity from God or power from God? Ooh, I'm preaching. Preaching, preaching. Here we go. Come on. I said to the therapist, clearly you did not listen to the words that came out of my mouth. The therapist said, can you describe your father to me one more time? I said, yeah, and with an attitude. It's funny now. It was not funny in the moment. I said, how about you put your little notebook down? I was mad. I was big mad. Therapist said, I'll put my notebook down. Describe your father to me one more time. I said, my dad could talk his way into anything, talk his way out of anything. My dad could weave a, a web of deception. My dad was so good with his words that my dad could convince anybody of anything. My dad's superpower, my dad did more damage to me and my mother, not with his actions, but with his words. My dad's superpower were his words. My therapist looked at me and said, yep, your father left you a powerful set of gifts. I said, if you don't make it plain preacher, if you do not help me, I will never return to this therapist's office. The therapist asked me one question that has changed my mindset forever and is the reason I wrote this book. And it's the way that we're going to look at John chapter 5. The therapist said, what do you do for a living? I said, I'm a preacher. And the therapist looked at me and said, then it sounds like you can talk people out of anything talk people into anything. It sounds like you can talk people out of anxiety and talk people into peace. It sounds like you can talk people out of depression and talk people into joy. It sounds like you can talk people out of hell and talk people into heaven. It sounds like the gift that God knew your father had and that you needed, he orchestrated your parents to meet so that you could get the very thing to unlock your destiny and you will never be grateful for the gift if you despise the giver. So you need to forgive your father and let him go because you would not be traveling around the world had this dysfunctional crackhead from Boston not taught you how to preach.
Your father blessed you. I need to help you. You are not a victim. Everyone who neglected you, they blessed you. Everyone who ever cursed you, blessed you. Everybody who left you, blessed you. Because who God has blessed, no man can curse. I'm a bless somebody. So if you try to do something against me, curses bounce off of me and become blessing in my life. I am blessed I'm blessed in the city and I'm blessed in the field I'm blessed when I come I'm blessed when I go I'm blessed if I got a pastor for a father or a crackhead for a father and if God didn't give it to me that must mean I don't need it if I don't have it I must not need it here we go the lie of the enemy is that what you need to accomplish your destiny for your life somebody else got There's no one who has what you need. Well, if I had their parents, well, if I had their budget, pastors love this. If I had their building, you are comparing what's visible. If you were wise, what you would be saying is if I had their culture. Not if I had their building, if I had their culture, if I had their faith. Oh, I'm stepping on toes. You don't want to deal with me today. You do not want to deal with me today. The enemy only shows you visible things that you can be jealous about. Because covetousness is attached to the eyes. How about you choose to see what's beneath the surface? It's not if I had their anointing, it's if I had their discipline. John chapter five, John chapter five. Come on, come on, come on. What that therapist did for me is he reframed my narrative. He took a thorn and turned it into the first piece of my crown. He took something that agitated me. I was embarrassed about my dad. And now I preach about my dad everywhere I go because my father unlocked the gift of preaching in me. Some of us, you're struggling with low self-esteem because the gift came from a parent that you hate. And you'll never fully love you because every time you operate in the gift that God used your parent to bless you with, it reminds you of a parent that you are still walking in unforgiveness with. Oh, I'm preaching. I'm preaching. It's okay. Y'all not saying amen because you under the knife and don't nobody talk when they get surgery. <laughs> I'm cutting you open. I'm, I'm slicing and dicing, okay? <laughs> you on the surgery table just open, okay? It's okay. It's okay. Some of us, you, you're not dealing with self-hate, you're dealing with unforgiveness. You'll never fully appreciate a gift that you despise. Whew. Most of us like the gift, we just don't like God's delivery system. And God is like, if you think for a moment I'm Amazon, Amazon priming anything to you, you just don't understand how this works. I got 12 minutes, John chapter 5. This is why black church lasts so long. Every black preacher comes with like three sermons every Sunday. You know what I'm saying? It's just a roll of the dice. Like what, what that, and four choirs. Anyway, come on, come on. John chapter five, John chapter five. Come on. I'm reading out of the new international version of the Bible. Whatever I don't say, it's in chapter three of this book. <laughs> and it's on sale today for $20. Okay. 
That's the actual price. That's, it's not a sale. Okay, John chapter 5, verse 1. Come on, if there's a word I don't say, I want you to say the word. John chapter 5, verse 1. Sometime. Later. That was about 18 of you. Come on, everybody. Sometime. Later. There we go. Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now there is in Jerusalem near the sheep gate a... Which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie. The? Lies. The? Lies. And the? Yeah. I love how the Bible lets us know that society wants to segregate you and congregate you based on your dysfunction. Blind people stay with blind people. Paralyzed people, you better stay with the other paralyzed people. Lame people better stay with the lame people uh, because... Once your issue becomes your identity, that's now the lens in which you see all relationships. So now you'll only relate to people who get you. Uh-oh. Maybe they get you because they're in the same spot as you. Okay, can I be vulnerable? Can I be vulnerable? Okay, two mindsets were operating with me and my wife when we got diagnosed with infertility. When we got diagnosed with infertility, like everybody, no, no uh, problem being human, okay? We, we were, we're human, okay? There's space for your humanity. Uh, God goes, there's space for it. We just go and disciple you out of it, okay? <laughs> so we're human. And so what's the first thing we do? We start gravitating towards other couples who are struggling with infertility. The only problem is that that brings a lot of comfort, but not a lot of victory, Because we all have the same pain point. And because we all have the same pain point, no one's challenging anybody. Uh-oh. The problem is that we all have too much empathy for one another. So we don't say anything that could trigger anyone's pain because I know what that pain feels like. Which means if you get me too much, you'll never challenge me to stop being the person that I think I am. The moment my issue becomes my identity, when you challenge the issue, now you challenge me. So I'll say things like the church ain't loving because I have identified with something that God says is beneath my calling. But because it's my identity, I cannot separate from you challenging the thing and you challenging me. So I feel personally rejected anytime you trigger the thing that I've identified with. Uh-oh. So what began to bless us was our friends that never struggled with infertility. Our friends that never struggled with infertility they're like, don't talk to me about no fallopian tubes. and those. Do you want kids or not? I mean, what, they are not sensitive in the same way. And because they're not sensitive, they pushed us out of our comfort zone. Victims never seek out relationships with people who they see as the villain. Oh, I'm, I'm helping you. I'm helping you. I'm helping you. Because if you're blind, you find comfort in relationships with other blind people. But two blind people can't help each other cross the street. So being blind together is dope if you want to stay at the pool forever. 
here we go. So that's victim mentality. You know you're operating in victim mentality if your relational life is an echo chamber. Let that sink in. Okay, next. We're also operating in scarcity mentality. Scarcity mentality. They're at a pool and they believe that when the angel touches the water, how many people can get healed? One. So that means you're always playing musical chairs for what God has for you. So I've got to get there before you. So now the pool is a system for scarcity mentality. When me and my wife were struggling with infertility, every time someone announced they were pregnant, we could never be happy. Because we, in our brains, thought, well, if you got pregnant, that means we can't. That's scarcity mentality. The Bible says that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, which means scarcity mentality is always the fuel of the enemy to get me to covet and to get me to be jealous and to get me to blame and to get me to say, I don't have because you took. See, the phrase they took our jobs is not only racist. Hashtag Martin Luther King weekend. Thank you for having a black preacher on Martin Luther King weekend. Thank you. Thank you, Pastor Lyle. Not only is it racist, it's fueled by a scarcity mentality. How can they take what God gave me? They can't take anything that God has for me. And if they took it, I don't need it. If they took it, then that means God's got something else for me. Abundance mentality says there's more than enough. Abundance mentality says there's an unlimited supply, not a limited supply. And abundance mentality says I'm not playing musical chairs for anything. There are not 10 chairs and 11 people. God is the God of more than enough, which means there's 10 chairs and four people in God's economy. When we switched from scarcity mentality into an abundance mentality, guess what happened? Every time people announced they were pregnant, me and my wife started showing up to baby showers with diapers and cribs and all types just blessing people. Because if God is blessing my neighbor, that is good news. That means he's in the neighborhood. And if God can bless you, that should add to my faith. If God is blessing you, that should prove to me that God can open doors. If God is blessing you, that should encourage me. If God's miracle in your life causes me to be jealous, then I've got to check my spirit. It means that I'm operating in a mindset that is demonic or secular. Here we go. Woo! Nine minutes and 37 seconds. Jesus asked the man a very, very pivotal question, okay? There's blind people, lame people, paralyzed people. Jesus asked the man a very, very critical question. Jesus learns that he's been there for a very, very long time. Verse five, one who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in the condition for a long time, he asked, do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? Do you want? This is a very interesting question. You know, if I could teleport back in time, I'd tap Jesus on the shoulder and say, well, Jesus, context clues would suggest your boy wants to get well. I mean... He's paralyzed. 
he's at a pool where an angel comes to heal people. I mean, there's two or three blues clues here that would lead one to conclude that he wants to get well. But how many people realize Jesus does not ask irrelevant or silly questions? When you learn the geography of where the pool is, you realize that this is a high traffic area because in order to get to the temple, you had to pass by this pool, which means it was the perfect place for blind, paralyzed, and lame people not to get healed by the angel or by the waters, but to get pity from passersby. It was the perfect place to beg for money if you were in the predicament that you couldn't provide for yourself. And so when Jesus says, do you want to get well? What he's saying is, do you want me to ruin the system you've created out of your lack? Because if I heal you, you can't relate to any of these people anymore. If I heal you, you can't blame anyone for why you're still broken anymore. If I heal you, you're going to have to, uh-oh, go get a job. If I heal you, you're going to have to take responsibility for your life because you may say you want to be healed, but most of us don't want the responsibility that comes along with being a healed person. Ooh. Because get this, Jesus asked a very simple yes or no question. Do you want to get healed? Here's blues clues number one that you're struggling with victim mentality. All the man had to say was yes or no. What does the man say? Sir, I have no one to help me. Into the water. When the water is stirred, it ain't my fault, it's their fault. I ain't got nobody to help me. Let's break this down. You have no one to help you. Let's think about this. But you placed yourself at a pool where no one's in a position to help you. Of course you have no one to help you. Everyone can only comfort you. No one can help you. Uh-oh. 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 You have created a social scenario where there is no one who can help you because everyone gets you. The only people who can help you are people who go, I don't know what that's like. Don't know what it's like to be infertile. But can you babysit my kids for me? If your friendships don't trigger you, you don't got the right friendships. Your friendships should trigger you. You should go, ooh, I'm either gonna make friends because they're comfort for me, or I'm gonna make friends that push me. I'm broke, so I'm gonna get around some millionaires because they trigger me. I'm single, so I'm gonna get married friends because they trigger me. I'm infertile, so I'm gonna get some friends with a bunch of kids because they trigger me. I'm tired of being in relationships for comfort because comfort will keep me here, but I don't wanna stay here. I wanna get to where God has for me. And if I'm gonna do that, I'm gonna need friends that provoke me. I don't know how to pray, so I'm going to become friends with that one person that prays real loud. You know who they are. And I feel a little embarrassed. 
And I don't want to pray out loud around them because I don't know how. That's your prayer partner, not the person on the same level as you. Why would you pay money to a gym to get a trainer who's fat? I'm fat. I'm already fat. I got the fat box checked. I need a trainer, not a friend. You on a treadmill next to me like, this is hard, ain't it? Yeah, you're not hit. You're not fit to be my trainer. Let me teach you a principle. When we shifted, we stopped being victims and we stopped believing in scarcity mentality. We started babysitting all of our, for all of our friends who are married. Showing up to baby showers with gifts. Let me teach you a principle. You cannot go where you refuse to sow. You cannot go where you refuse to sow. For so many of us, God has used your debt, sorry, God has given you a destiny, a vision, a God dream, but the enemy wants to use that God dream to become an idol in your life. So instead of helping another entrepreneur, you want to be the entrepreneur at 22. One day I'm going to be a senior pastor. It's going to be dope. But guess what? I'm in a season right now where I get to serve other senior pastors all over the nation. I get to be a voice into their church. I am never going to get to where God has for me if I always want to covet my future. I can't be in a covetous relationship with my destiny because I'll skip out on all of the training and all of the lessons and all of the discipleship if I'm ever going to be strong enough to withstand all of the weight that my future has, then I've got to get in the gym. I can't just dictate. I don't want God to bippity-boppity-boo it because if God bippity-boppity-boo it, I won't have the character to keep it. I learned how to be a dad by being around dads. The whole season we were struggling with infertility. I said, I could use this as a season to be bitter or I could use this as a season to prepare. Because I cannot go where I refuse to sow. My seed doesn't just go into the ground, it goes into my future. Here we go. Do you want to get well? Are you okay with being well? Here we go. I wish I could teleport back into the Bible. Here we go. And say to this paralyzed guy, bro, you're not the only paralyzed guy in the Bible. (laughs) You're not the only paralyzed guy in the New Testament. You're not the only paralyzed guy in the Gospels. There's a whole other paralyzed guy. He was eligible to be at the pool. But instead of being at the pool with you, he chose to get four friends who could walk. And those four friends, they got tired of seeing him paralyzed and lame and couldn't walk. And the four friends heard Jesus is healing people at that house down there. And they took their eight legs and gave him zero legs and picked him up and took him to the house where Jesus was healing people. No room was in the house. They was like, that ain't going to stop us. They climbed up the side of the house, ripped up the roof, lowered him into the house. And the Bible says that when Jesus saw their faith, when you don't have faith, do you have friends that can have faith for you? When you don't have. When you don't have encouragement, when you don't have discipline, have you surrounded yourself with a community? 
Or have you decided to surround yourself with people who cannot help you? I have no one to help me. <laughs> yeah. Imagine how triggered the paralyzed guy with four friends feels. Every day. Everything they do reminds him of what he can't do. Here we go. Now I'm going to tell you my sermon title. 19 seconds left. All right, here we go. On second thought. Because the man's first thought was jacked up. But thank God for grace. On first thought, he goes, I'm a victim. On first thought, he says, I have no one to help me. His first thought is, let me just go to the pool and be with everyone who looks like me and acts like me and thinks like me. And then Jesus says two words that change his whole life. The man has been looking for a handout his whole life. Jesus does not touch him to heal him. Jesus says two words, get up. Because Jesus knows if I heal his body without healing his, I have done him a disservice. The goal is not for him to just walk. The goal is for him to think like he's victorious. The goal is not for him to receive welfare. The goal is for him to believe I have what God says I have. And so Jesus says, get up. You tired of being paralyzed? Get up. You tired of being anxious? Get up. You tired of being confused? Get up. You tired of being depressed? Get up. You tired? Are you tired of living beneath your means? Then get up. Jesus challenges him to say, I'm not the God who's going to get down into the dirt with you. I'm the God who's going to challenge you to get yourself up. Get up. This is the year you get up out of your excuses and get up out of your narrative and get up out of victim mentality and get up out of generational curses and get up out of every stronghold that is trying to keep you down. This is your year to get up. Get yourself up. Get up. Stop complaining and get up. Stop blaming people and get up. Stop looking for pity and get up. Get up. Get up. Get up. I'm not just talking to your mind. I'm talking to your spirit. And I'm declaring, get up. Hallelujah. You're done laying there. You're done being paralyzed. You're done making excuses. You're done. You're going to get up. Jesus says, get up. Last thing I'll say. Woo! If you got up, you can stay up. Come on. Here we go. How in the world does Jesus have the audacity and the nerve to say to a paralyzed person, get up? This is the most politically incorrect thing you could ever say. This is rude Jesus, savage Jesus. This is, I drink black coffee from gas stations and I got chest hair Jesus, okay? This is, this is, this is, this is cancel Jesus, Jesus, okay? This is, uh-uh. Get up. Because maybe Jesus knows more about you than you know about you. You see yourself as paralyzed. 
but maybe Jesus is operating on a level of truth that you don't have access to yet. And the reason that Jesus can say get up is because Jesus has never identified you based on your problem. But Jesus only identifies you based on your original design. Jesus identifies you based on the you that he knit together in your mother's womb. Jesus sees you based on what he did for you on the cross. Jesus does not see you based on what you lack, but he sees you based on his provision working in your life so Jesus can roll up on you and say get up because he doesn't see you as paralyzed and everyone's been dealing with you like you're paralyzed they put on their gentle gloves to deal with you because you're so emotional and so sensitive and so fragile oh that's fancy for fragile and at some point, God is like, yeah, no, I'm not going to cater to your dysfunction. Get up. And the man on second thought decides, okay, and tries to do what he had never tried to do before. And the moment he attempts to get up, he takes a natural step and God adds his super to the man's natural. And that's how we get the supernatural. You can't ask God for supernatural and you don't even do what's in your natural ability to do. When you do the natural, God does the super. That's why we're asking you to fast so that you can do the natural so that God can do the super. That's why you should be just as excited about dinner parties as you are about worship because it's your four friends who can take you to see Jesus. I need you to do the natural. I need you to get out of your comfort zone. I need you to pray. I need you to do the natural. So that God's super can get added to your natural. If you're in the room today and I'm preaching to you, just wave at me. Come on, just wave at me. If you're in the room today and I'm preaching to you, you know, come on. If you need to abandon scarcity mentality, wave at me, wave at me, wave at me, wave at me. God, we curse every thought that comes from hell, every thought that comes from the flesh. We curse it and we uproot it right now by the power and the authority of Jesus. God, we thank you right now for an abundance mentality that we're going to walk out of service. We're not believing you for magic, but we're believing you for your power. That, Lord God, what we don't have the power to do naturally, you're going to give us the ability to think in a different way. God, we thank you. We thank you. We thank you in advance that we're leaving victim mentality. That victim mentality is no longer the way we identify. We don't identify as our issue. God, we thank you for Legacy Nashville. We thank you for revival. God, we thank you for a strong church. God, we bless you and we ask that you would bless your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Come on. Somebody say amen, amen, amen. Thanks for tuning in to the Legacy Nashville podcast. If you'd like to support the ministry, you can do so at LegacyNashville.org forward slash give. If you're listening on iTunes, log into the store and give us a good rating and review. This helps our podcast reach new people with the good news of Jesus Christ. Until next week, love God, love people, and go change the world.